Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm your host, Stephanie, and today I'm joined by author Ronald Malfi to discuss his upcoming novel, Come With Me. So thank you and welcome to the show. Hey, Stephanie. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, I'm very excited to have you on. I was talking to you about it earlier, but I loved Come With Me. It, I think it's up there with my favorite 2021 reads so far. Well, right, geez, that's that's not having to read like two books so far. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. I, I'm very excited about the book. Um, you know, the early reviews and, 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 you know, reader reviews, blurbs that have come out. You know, it's just been, been very excited. It's been, everything's been good so far. So I'm just keeping those fingers crossed and trying to hit that uh, finish line in, in July when it comes out. So what is your relationship to horror? <laughs> That's a that's a pretty that's a right out of the gate a pretty deep question, uh, you know. As as a fan, as a writer, uh, you know, I, I look. I love. I, when I was a kid growing up, everything scared the hell out of me, right? So I think, and I, it's probably similar. I would think for for most people who who find themselves as adults interested in horror, um, but everything scared me, and I would my mind was just would go a, a million miles a minute. And um, as I got older, and I would gravitate towards different. Um, you know, kind of artistic endeavors, uh, you know, music, drawing, uh, writing, um, everything I did, particularly, you know, drawing and, and, and writing always had a dark bend to it, you know, and I, I can't say that was a, a conscious thing that I deliberately did it that way. I mean, I, I read voraciously as a kid, I read every author. Um, uh, but I, when I found Stephen King, you know, I just, he blew my mind. I, I, I was probably maybe 10 or 11 when I started right the first book of his I read was uh, eyes of the dragon which is not a typical Stephen King book but I read that and then I bought this old uh, typewriter at a yard sale and uh, I remember even I was I skateboarded home with it like in my arms it was a big heavy metal <laughs> typewriter and uh, I my, my first story that I typed up was basically a plagiarized version of uh, the eyes of the dragon and i <laughs> continued that every time i read one of his books i'm like i'm gonna plagiarize this one i'm gonna plagiarize. <laughs> I don't think I knew what that meant at the time but really it was just kind of in hindsight you know it was me studying the craft i think and and seeing what appealed to me why it appealed to me what i liked about it and you know and uh i, I don't think i really even had a choice i mean i just everything you know my, my my grandmother who's 98 years old said it best she came to a book signing of mine years ago and she said she stood up in the middle of the audience and she goes ronald why don't you write something nice <laughs> <laughs> and i and, and i kind of laughed but in truth i said look everything starts off as a love story and then it just gets real dark <laughs> <laughs> like, sit down grandma <laughs> no dinner tonight <laughs> Not for you. <laughs> okay, so tell us about Come With Me. So Come With Me um, uh, kind of came from two places. So Come With Me was the result of having finished off a three-book deal with um, Kensington books. And uh, once I, and the last book with that deal was Bone White. Once Bone White came out and I toured on that... Um, I, I started playing in a rock band at the time and, and we were having some success and having some fun doing that. And I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'd like to take some time off. I was doing a book a year for about a decade and it was exhausting. And I was kind of creatively spent and I, and 
uh, wasn't, you know, the publisher wasn't throwing the millions of dollars at me that I was hoping to get at this point. So I said, you know, what? I'm going to take a little break and I'm going to focus on the, the band. And so that's what I did. So I didn't renew my contract with them. And I was for the first time in like a decade, just kind of a, a free agent. And um, it was great. I got to play music. We, we The band toured. We, we did a lot of great stuff with that. But I started getting a little um, not not antsy about not having a book contract, but antsy that I wasn't writing. And um I had sort of the seeds for some stories in my head and I thought, man, wouldn't it be nice to write something not under a deadline just to, to do it as I want to do it. And, uh, and that's, you know, that, that's kind of the, you know, where I was in, in my headspace when I started writing this book, uh, where it came from, which is where a lot of my book ideas kind of come from is like multiple places all at once. And then once these ideas kind of collide and fit perfectly, I realized, Oh, there's a book there. There's, there's something there. And the impetus for that, for, for Come With Me, uh, comes kind of from two, two unique places. One was I had just, I don't know if I read the book or just heard about uh, I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Um, fantastic uh, book about uh, 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 Michelle, um, her, I'm blanking on her last name. McNamara. McNamara, who was uh, basically spent her, her free time tracking down online uh, the Golden State Killer a serial killer from California. And I, and I was fascinated by that story. Um, and uh, that just sat in the back of my head. I'm like, oh, there, there's something there. There's something I can fictionalize something here. Mm-hmm. And uh, didn't really know where I was going with that until, and this, this is, this is kind of the, the grim part of this whole thing. But uh, around that same time, I had a, a good friend of mine who was a reporter for the Capitol Gazette newspaper. And she was one of five reporters who were killed in a mass shooting when a gunman stormed that building. It was a huge out here locally. It was a big uh, news story. And I think, uh, uh, you know, across the country it was too. I think they, I think the, the, the reporters pictures were on the cover of time magazine. And it was, it was a, it was a really huge tragedy. And uh, the woman who, who I knew who had died, Wendy Winters uh, was just always so supportive of, of my writing. Uh, became, I became friendly with her. Um, you know, she knew my family and that was really devastating to me. But what what it also did is it kind of, in a weird way, fit the last piece of the puzzle to the story I was looking to tell. I said, you know, I was looking for the character, really. And I said, well, Wendy, Wendy is there's a part of Wendy in this character. So it became a, an exercise, really, in kind of getting over my grief over what happened to her and and also uh pushing myself uh, in, in a direction to to write something that just meant something for me. I didn't have to go through an editor. I didn't have to, or at the time, I, the book wasn't under contract at, back then, and I could write it for myself and use it as that sort of grief exorcism. Um, so that's a really deep, dark uh, <laughs> passage to, to get to, to your answer to that question. But it's a, it's a dark story, and it kind of comes from a, a bit of a dark place for me. Oh, wow. Yeah, I remember reading that in the note at the back of the book where you talk about that and it added a whole layer to the story for sure. But I wanted to ask, I mean, with it not being under contract, was it easier because it didn't have to fit like the mold of a genre because it's, it's horror adjacent. It definitely has horror elements, but you know, it's playing around with a lot of different things. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, my, my agent would tell you that, they pitch my stuff as horror adjacent, all my stuff. Um, this one, I, I, I could, I, it was a fine line between how, how 
deep into the supernatural I wanted this story to go. And I kind of wavered back and forth, and I wrote a couple of different versions where it's much heavier, where it's much lighter, and really, really happy with where I've settled. I think it really works perfectly. And, and that was re- was really based on um, the support and, and input from my editor when I, when I currently sold the book, or when, you know, when I subsequently sold the book, uh, and working with her to, to really just develop the, the strengths of the story and not have to rely on any, any overt genre tropes in order to tell a story like this. And that was very important to me to, to not have to do it that way. I thought it hit a great balance. Like I love horror novels and I love, you know, crime novels. And I think this hit that very good balance where like the supernatural part wasn't like the thing that solved everything or like the thing you could never figure out. It was, I think, a perfect emotional part to the story. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, a lot of the stuff I write and the stuff I actually I, I enjoy reading the most are are horror stories where the supernatural or the horror element is really just the tapestry of the atmosphere of the story mm-hmm. and not necessarily the main antagonist for our hero to fight, but something that sets the stage where to, to allow our very real characters to play out their, their scenes. And, you know, this, this, this book, I think does it probably best out of all my books. Uh, I tried to do it with, you know, the previous novels, with bone white with, with little girls, um, you know, I, I'm always cautious of, of walking that line and not just committing 100%. I like the reader to shut it and go, "Was that a horror novel I just read? Was that <laughs> was that supernatural or was or, or was it not?" You know, and I, and it's a tough it's tough to walk that line. But I, you know, so I'm always happy when I feel I've achieved it, which is not <laughs> often. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, I also liked Aaron's whole emotional journey because I think. When I read the synopsis, I'm like, okay, he's going to discover, like, his wife has a secret and that she was this whole person he didn't know. But it's like, no, he very much, like, knew who she was. She just had this part to her. And throughout the novel, you really feel the grief and the grieving process and how things remind him of her. And seeing images of her just, like, brings everything back. Yeah. And I, I think for me, you know, the the interesting part of Aaron's journey, what I wanted to explore is, you know, here's a guy who's completely out of his element in in trying to and going on this journey and trying to learn about his wife whom he believes when the book starts that he didn't know that that she had this secret life and he didn't really know who he was married to and having him kind of come full circle to by the end of the book realizing that the book ends with them being even though she's dead with them being probably closer than they've ever been where he's understood her at a level that was never available to him when she was alive and now they're closer even in her death. And and that to me was, was a very intriguing part of, of his journey a very, very poignant uh, for him to go through. So Aaron, the protagonist in come with me is a Japanese translator. Did you like research the profession? Like, did you learn anything interesting in your research? <laughs> well, you, you know, like, like I said, these books for me, a novel comes together from a variety of places. And sometimes I sit on, a snippet of an idea forever until I realize, oh, that's how I need to use that later on. And uh, you know, I'm a huge uh, uh, Murakami fan. I read, I, I love his novels. And I years ago heard a uh, an NPR interview with his English language translator, and I thought the guy was fascinating. I mean, he was just as fascinating as the writer. And I'm, I'm listening to how 
you know, I learned how there is no, there's really no uh, linguistic nexus to uh, it, between Jap Japanese and English, and that it's not about translating words; it's about translating the essence of what what is being said. I just found all of that extremely interesting. So it sat in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, that'd be a cool character, you know, that's somebody who does that, but never knew where to put him. And then when I got this story, I realized, you know, Aaron, who, who's, who's the main character of this novel, who was married to just a, a you know, a, 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 just a brazen, uh, self-assured uh, ball buster of a woman. Uh, he's now tasked with finishing what she started and he's a recluse and he is a nerd, you know, <laughs> and he is, you know, he even refers to himself like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a guy who's, who's who, when he meets her, he's carrying a, a Murakami novel and it's this big chunky Japanese book and I'm trying to flirt with this woman who, who has no time for me, you know, and I'm like, this is the guy who's going to be in this story. And I like to take that, that pragmatic aspect of, of who he is and apply that to the you know, gangbusters attitude that his wife had in doing what she was doing. And I, and I like that juxtaposition. So it just, it just kind of fit perfectly. So I never throw away those stupid old ideas. <laughs> it works. And I mean, it's the perfect profession for giving you the flexibility to take on a side project like this. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how much money he was pulling in, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I kind of skirted over that issue, but <laughs> You know, it's like one of those HDTV shows. It's like, ah, this guy translates Japanese novels. His wife writes cooking columns and they live in a million dollar home. Yeah. I feel like it seemed realistic. They have like a, a town home, like double, double income town home. Seems fine. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so also parts of the book are written in second person and as a reader like I feel like that's very hit or miss I think it's a hit here but I was gonna ask as a writer is that hard to do you know it's generally yes I, I it's hard to do um but what I found for this novel is I took a, a few stabs at writing the first chapter um not utilizing that and it's 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 sort of a cheat second person. It's sort of first person with a cheat to a second person. Um, but the, the few stabs I took where I did it just straight first person or straight, you know, third, I think I may have taken a shot at, just wasn't coming together. And um, and also with that first chapter, you know, it's clear that she dies in the first chapter of the book. And we know this. And I was initially writing it where kind of using her death as a surprise here's what happened to her and i'm like ah, that the reader is gonna already kind of figure out what this is about so i realized the way to win this you know to make it work is to front load it and just to say hey you know she's dead and here's what happened and i said okay well what's the best way to say that how, how would i go about that so first person seemed really organic and, and intimate and then i thought well what if he's actually talking to her what if this whole book is written from from him and she's the second person, you know, and once I realized that and took a stab at, at a draft of the first chapter with that, I'm like, yeah, this is it. This is just how this book has to be told. And it I felt so much more compassion for him as a person. Like I, I, I felt bad for him at that point. Just how I'm like, wow, I could really feel him. He feels real to me now. So, yeah, it's tough to do in general, but it just seemed to be the thing that worked for this book. Definitely. And makes it much sadder. <laughs> You feel the intimacy of their relationship because, yeah, it's like, you know, I miss you. I see this. Allison, like, what were you doing? It's like, oh. Yeah. And even <laughs> even even more more than like him missing her, I, you know, for me and writing it, it's it's 
the, the times where he feels jaded by her or or distrust just distrust some of the the stuff he's learned or or feels like the whole thing was a sham and and he's trying to be angry but not be angry uh to me those were the, mo- the most emotional parts where this poor guy is just struggling with his grief and really this isn't i mean grief is a, is a theme in the book but it's you know he's he's got a lot of stuff to do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he doesn't have a lot of time to sit and and cry in his in his cereal. So, yeah, I, and he's got to find time to do some translating to fund this project. So, <laughs> also that I did have a uh, I don't want to go on a translating tangent, but I but the the book he was translating the Japanese author in in, in a very early draft of this actually made an appearance. So that was that was a little bizarre, but I kind of I cut that out. <laughs> Was it Yoko Ogawa? Uh, I think he mentioned that at one point. Is that the name I use? I think so. It said Ogawa. I'm like, I just wondered if the... It was... Well, I used... The the name of the book... The the author in the book is fictional, but I took real Japanese authors' names and kind of mashed them up together. (laughs) (laughs) So you can kind of figure out who I'm talking about. But, yeah. Also, a lot of your books have been re-released as e-books. Have you gotten a new readership out of that? I have, yeah. You know, um, <clears throat> the, I had five books recently re-released, um, and and these books had gone out of print a couple, of, you know, a few years ago, and uh, they were some of my favorite books personally, and and they tended to be some some of them tended to be fan favorites too. Uh, so I always wanted to bring them back out. I just didn't, you know, this whole industry is all screwed up, so I didn't really know the best way to do it. My agent was trying to look and see. It's tough to, you know, get some of these books reprinted for a, for a good deal. So really what happened was I, I what really pushed me to, to find a, a publisher for them is I started seeing a lot of people online, Facebook, a lot of Instagram posts where people were tracking down these books and paying like crazy amounts. I was looking. I was looking yeah. for a copy of December Park and I was December, like, December Park and Floating <laughs> Staircase and Snow tend to be the three that people will that they, 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 they hunt down. And I've seen so many, I won't say stolen, but purloined copies of December Park with a library sticker on the spine in someone's house in their book collection. I'm like, wow, okay. So, you know, and I, and I felt, look, I mean, it's ridiculous to have to go online and pay like $90 for a paperback novel. So, uh, you know, let's bring these things back and, and you know, introduce them to, to well, people who are looking for them, you know? So, so I'm very excited that they're back out and it seems to kind of reignite people's interest in those books. Where do you think people should start if they're looking to get into your books? Like, what's a good starting point? You know what? Everybody always asks. And because I feel my books are, you know, I'm, I'm very different from one book to the next. So it really would depend on what the reader's looking for. If you're, if you're a, give me a big monstery novel, you know, I like, like just my supernatural monsters, you know, something like snow or even the narrows would be a good place to start. Um, you know, if you like, you know, what they call kind of quiet horror, you know, that's sort of what I do. Uh, you know, Floating Staircase is a good place. My personal favorites are, are Floating Staircase and December Park. Um, you know, December Park's really no supernatural aspect to December Park at all. It's a coming of age kind of suspense novel, I guess, um, you know, set against the backdrop of a, of a of kids tracking down a serial killer. Um, but it's extremely autobiographical. I know those guys in that book. I grew up with them. <laughs> Um, you know, the names have been changed somewhat to protect the guilty. And, uh, 
you know, so for me, those are those are that's what I'd, I'd suggest. Bone White also seems to be a, a, a bit of a fan favorite and people's it's very, a very accessible book. Uh, so, yeah, any any of those, I would say. Yeah. I read a while ago that I was getting an adaptation. Yeah. You, well, <laughs> such is Hollywood. So, yeah, they they do. Covid kind of slowed that down, but it was uh, it was option um uh, for a TV series through uh, Fox, 20th Century Fox and uh, Walt Disney Company, and then Amazon uh, stepped in, and they're gonna they were turning it into an Amazon TV series. COVID slowed that whole thing down. Um, the same, you know, these were the same producers who were doing the Fargo TV series and The Handmaid's Tale, and they got a year behind those shows. So it's sort of in limbo right now, um, but. Uh, that process was really cool. It was really neat to, to meet the right because I, I had nothing really to do with it. Uh, I, I read the, the pilot script that they wrote, but it also put me in a position where I could st- I was starting to pitch my own material. And um, like right even now, Come With Come with Me has been optioned by wow. NBC Universal for a TV series. So they're, they're working on that. And I became pretty good friends with the writer on that. And, you know, it's so I've been doing this past year has been a lot of television stuff. Um, I'm also in the process of I've got a developing another uh, original TV series concept. That's not based on any of my books. Um, that's been, that's been fun because I'm, I'm doing all the writing. So that's, it's a, it's a different medium, but it's, it's just, it's been a blast, but it's, uh, you know, you write a book, it's just you in a room, you know, you, you write a script and have these, these, you know, zoom meetings and there's 500 people there and everybody's got an idea and they, you know, they throw stuff out and, I listen, you know, <laughs> and you, you, you hear what they have to say, but that, so it's been, it's been pretty cool, but uh, yeah. So yeah. is it hard to pivot to that TV writing format? Um, not, not really. Um, well, I guess if they turn everything down, ultimately they'll say you weren't good enough. I'd say, yes, you're, you're right. It was hard. Um, it doesn't seem hard. It's, you know, I, I think if you just get the, 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 rhythm down on what they're looking for a lot of dialogue as opposed to action um you know once you know that part and and see how quick these scenes move um that that it becomes easier i mean look my, I, I write 500 page books you know a script is basically like 60 pages for a for a, an hour tv series so that's i, I could do that during lunch <laughs> i just feel like it would be hard to do just like the dialogue and like just that type of writing it's you know what's interesting is it it really taxes you on on um making all your making every line of dialogue count you know you got no no other way to really tell your story but how these people talk to each other and you have to know everything about their character based on what they say and how they interact with each other and as a writer i find it fascinating to be able to play with that and say all right can i can i get this point across just in in a line in, in, in three lines of dialogue okay i can can i do it in one line of dialogue can i do it in a word can i do it in a look you know <laughs> you, you try to you, you you break it down so far to see how, how, how good you can do it <laughs> <laughs> and then you give it to somebody else to rewrite it <laughs> i feel like that sounds difficult uh well <laughs> i mean the, the difficult part is really just there's a lot of people who have input on it and it's trying to, to uh arrive at a compromise with what everybody wants. That's, you know, yeah. basically it. Yeah. It's a collaborative process. Oh, yes. Yeah, I guess. 
Yeah. So earlier you were talking about writing different types of horror stories from like, you know, creature feature to you said quiet horror. Is there a subgenre or a type of horror story that you would like to write someday? That's in the works, maybe. <laughs> you know what? I do. I do have a few things in the works that really the only thing that's preventing me from you know, submitting them for publication is, is, uh, they are a little bit different than what I'm known for. I've got, man, I've got something that I've written. I've got like a thousand page, just kind of horror novel about a small town that, that I, that it's really cool, but it's a little too on the nose, I guess, than what I normally do, but I like it. And it's got like 15 main characters and it's just a rambling monstrous mess, but it's, it's kind of cool. Um, I've got something else that's been sitting around for a while that is sort of a sci-fi fantasy horror. I, I don't even know what you'd call it, but uh, but kind of dramatic too. I, I don't even know. So yeah, I got a lot of different stuff that that I've that I've been working on that I I work on when I have free time, and then I kind of you know set it aside and go, okay, now I have to do what I'm contracted for. <laughs> I'll work on that, and I'll come back to this nonsense when I have free time. <laughs> But it's fun. I mean, like one that thousand pager, man. I, I actually, well, your your viewers can't see, yeah. your, your listeners can't see, but what they don't know is that we're on Skype. But hold on, I'll show you. This is a uh, this is half of it. Oh wow! <laughs> That's You're, a big for the listeners. Big, it is a giant stack of paper. <laughs> it is giant. So. Uh, yeah, so I have fun with that, and I, I've been doing that for years. And every once in a while, I'm like, "Ooh, this is a good sentence," and I, I'll dig through all those pages and, go, and I'll write it in. I'm like, "All right, good. I'll see you in a decade, <laughs> you monster." <laughs> Does that work better for you, having like the physical copies? Yeah, you know what? When I edit stuff, I generally print it out so I could read it and kind of make my notes on it. Um, after writing this stuff on a computer for so long, I don't want to stare at another screen at that point. It just seems like I, I'm just able to grasp it better when it's printed. I can see that. Well, speaking of finding the time, how do you find the time to uh, be in a rock band with all this writing? Uh, well, this year was pretty easy. We didn't do anything. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Well, you know, I mean, it's... The rock band thing. So look, I, I played music my whole life. When I was at, when when I graduated from college, I was in a band that did some touring and stuff uh, for about a year, year and a half. And I was just trying to put off having a real job for as long as possible. And so I've I've always kind of loved it. But you know, like I spent a good after after all of that, you know, I spent a good 15 years of not playing music, of of working, of having getting married, having kids, having a you know. A, I guess like a normal life and figured, well, I'm never going to play music again the way I used to. And then I guess it was the end of 2016 or so, December, 2016, you know, my, my brother, who's the drummer in our band, but my whole family is like very musically inclined. Um, he was, uh, he, he was putting on, he was, he was, he was building instruments for artists. Basically he has a guitar company called free state custom guitars. And he makes these custom guitars for musicians. Oh. And he was putting on these festivals to support the artists. And we started, we, we came in and we're a backup band for one of the artists. And then we're, we looked at each other like, why aren't we doing this ourselves? You know? <laughs> so that's what we did. We said, let's, let's do it. But we got kind of in a niche where we're not tour- we're really touring. We stay local to, to, to the area here. We play maybe, eight shows a year at most and it's usually we'll come in and we get tapped to open for major 
you know, uh, acts when they come into town and we'll, we'll open the show for them or we'll, we'll headline like a small theater or club local to us. And that's basically it. So you got, you got eight chances a year at most to catch us. So, and it, and it really works out as opposed to, you know, a lot of bands, they, they're like, ah, oh, no, you gotta, we get out there and we play like three times, four times a week. And it's like, well, but then like six people show up because they're like, well, I'll see him next week. <laughs> you know, we are like, we're not doing that. If you don't catch us now, you got to wait two months. <laughs> Who have you opened for? Uh, well, we've opened for uh, Puddle of Mud, Trapped, oh, wow. Fuel, uh, Sponge, the, you know, some of those guys, uh, 40 Below Summer. Um, man, I'm trying to think. Everybody of, the, of that ilk, I guess, you know, if you were, if you went to, you know, college in the early 2000s, you probably heard them on the radio <laughs> at, a, at a frat party or something. But it's been cool. I mean, you know, the first show we, I think the first show we got, we opened up for Sponge and I loved it. I loved those guys back when I was in, I mean, that had even been high school or, or college, but, uh, you know, just, just to get in there, watch them, watch them, you know, rehearse and then have a couple drinks at the bar and then, uh, you know, steal their equipment when they're not looking. It's great. <laughs> Uh, well, on the podcast, it is called Books in the Freezer, and that's based off of Joey Tribbiani from Friends putting The Shining in the freezer. So we that we use that as our scary scale. So like the scariest books go in the freezer. So for you, what is a freezer book? Just out of anything I've read. Yeah. Um, hmm. Boy, scariest book. Well, I, you know what? I, that's tough. I, very little yeah. Scares me in a book, but I will say that uh, the, probably the best horror novel I read in the, the, in the past year was Stephen Graham Jones's The Only Good Indians. I thought that was outstanding. I was glad to hear that he won the, the Stoker for it. Just just a brilliant, brave take on on the, the subject matter. And man, it just worked. I And I know it was very, you know, different. A lot of people have a different opinion on it because it's I wouldn't say it's an accessible book. But, you know, for my money, man, it that's the. That's the kind of stuff that horror writers should be pushing the envelope towards. You know, guys like him and Mallerman are, are, and, and Paul Tremblay, they're doing great stuff. And, and I really, uh, you know, I, I read their books and go, oh, this, you know, this is, it's an interesting take yeah. on the genre. And I think that, you know, the, the, this genre needs, you know, an injection of a lot of that stuff. A lot yeah. of science, you know? put a little weird into it. Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Story of my life. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that book, I remember, yeah, there's like a, a middle section that was just like so gruesome. And I'm like, I kind of love this, but yeah, it's gruesome. <laughs> you know, and I knew nothing about it going into it. And, you know, there is that the part that everybody talks about where the book kind of switches and goes into a different direction. And uh, once as I got to that, I'm like, whoa, well, what's he going to do now? Like, <laughs> and then I read the next, I'm like, oh, I see what this is. This is freaking great. It's really good. So, <laughs> I, you know, I was very excited about it. And unfortunately, I don't know, like all my other friends are reading like, oh, do you, re you know, they're reading like uh, Tits of the Vampire. I'm like, oh, you're probably not going to like this book. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So I don't really have a lot of people to share it with. But I look, they don't, this he, is he the right. Promote it. He doesn't need me. To, yeah. Well, you got your, your audience knows you, it's already been read by your, your, your listeners. But uh, yeah, very good book. Okay. Well, I like to ask all my guests for a chilling obsession or something that they're enjoying in horror. Well, I can't just say your podcast because that just sounds like <laughs> fucking up. Uh, 
Let's see. That is a good one. Um, you know what? It's it's kind of um, so. I, I I just recently watched the. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a long way to get here. Recently rewatched nice. the second season of the new Creep Show TV show. Um, and uh, enjoyed that. I, I like all that. That I like those kind of. Uh, you know, P, you know, in 20 minutes you can watch a whole episode and it's done. And I, you know, it just reignited my love for the old Twilight Zone episodes. So, you know, once year, a few years ago, what was it? I think Netflix or, or Amazon or whoever, whoever it was, they put they put all the episodes of the old Twilight Zone series on on streaming. And I sat and like watched everything. <laughs> like I, I think I gained like 15 pounds doing it. And uh, so I just started going back and revisiting them. And they're just there's something so majestic about the, that series and those stories that I, I just, you know, he, he, he just touched on something with that. And it's, so I. I don't know. I don't know if that answers your what you're looking for, but that's where I'm at lately. Okay. Going back totally to the old. Works. Yeah. <laughs> Which ones are your favorites? Oh well, geez, you know. Um, well, it's a little cliched about the what was it? Burgess Meredith when he breaks his glasses with the books. I think that's time I, enough that's, at last. Yes. Uh, I mean that one is is great. I love the. Um, but you, you'll probably know all the titles of these. The kid yeah. who's able to the, the kid who's able to zap people out into the cornfield of his mind or whatever. Oh. I yeah, I don't remember, remember what that one's called. But they yeah. actually remade a version of uh, Joe Dante redid a version of that in the Twilight Zone movie that Spielberg produced. That's that was his version of it, the weird house that the kid lives in. I love that one. Um, I mean, there's just so many so many good ones, and and you, you know they. I watch them with my kids and they kind of like giggle at them and stuff. Well, you don't, you know, and I guess they're a little dated now, but man, they were just some poignant topical, uh, you know, uh, commentary for the oh, time. Yeah. What's the, the monsters on Maple street or yeah. that, that one. I mean, there's, I mean, there's so many good ones. There's so, there's so many of them. Really are. Yeah. I mean, with the, creep show i thought the the one episode that was in space i thought had very like twilight zony feel to it so i was like yeah i could see that <laughs> well, i did i watch it and look I, I it's fun but i'm like you know what i what i really this makes me want to go back to the old stuff you know so that's what i wound up doing well done creep show <laughs> uh, another thing i like to ask our guests is for a final girl song we have a playlist on spotify where we have everyone's answers to what their final girl song would be if they were in a slasher movie <laughs> so what would be yours i cheated i uh i put a beer song <laughs> in there <laughs> it's a song called red tide and it's about uh hey it's blood washing up on the beach i think that's kind of cool right <laughs> we'll go with that <laughs> so is that like a, a fighting back song um, it's a, uh, because I'm a fan of irony, it's sort of a, you didn't win the fight and you're dying now. <laughs> you are, you are literally the final girl and now you're dead. <laughs> you were the final girl, but not the surviving one. <laughs> so that's my pick for the final girl, final girl, either that or Dave Brubeck's timeout, but I don't know. I don't know how jazzy you want to get. <laughs> no, that's my pick. Well, Thank you so much for coming on and talking to me about this. Like I said, I loved Come With Me. So thank you for taking time out of your day. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. <laughs> of course. Where can people find you online? Oh, I, I've got Facebook and, and Twitter all, all under my name, Ronald Malfi. Uh, I've got a website that uh, is currently under construction and has been 
uh, for the past decade, I guess. Uh, so I'm not hard to find. You Google me and I, and I pop up. <laughs> well, everybody go by, come with me. Yes, do that. <laughs> All right. Thank you again. Thanks so much. Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod, on Instagram at Books in the Freezer, at Facebook at Facebook.com slash Books in the Freezer. And we are on TikTok as Books in the Freezer. And we are also on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Books in the Freezer with a one, three, and a $5 level and all kinds of perks at each different level. So you can go ahead and check that out. You can also support us by using the Amazon link that will be in the show notes for this episode. And a lot of fun things have been bought using the link. Uh, I saw someone bought scrubs, someone bought foot scrub, uh, someone bought a bamboo cutting board, like vacuum bags, like I see it all. It's all fun. So thank you to all of you for using that. It is also very possible to show your support for the show without spending any money. Just tell someone about us or leave a review on a site like Apple Podcasts. Like word of mouth is huge for small indie podcasts like this. So thank you again to all of you who have left reviews. I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N or on Instagram as that's what she read. And that is that's with two A's. Thank you for listening and see you next time on Books in the Freezer. Thank you.